The so-called godfather of the anti-fracking movement had an unlikely start. Tony Ingrafia, now a professor emeritus of engineering at Cornell, spent the first 25 years of his career consulting to the oil and gas industry. We're sitting with him in Denver, Colorado, at the National Stop the Frack Attack conference, where he's just finished a standing room only presentation. So, Tony, we're curious, how did a career in oil and gas lead you here, speaking to anti-fracking activists? It all started 30 miles up the road from where we're sitting. He got his Ph.D. from the University of Colorado at Boulder, studying rock fracture mechanics. His research would help companies like Schlumberger and ExxonMobil figure out how to best get oil and gas out of rock. Getting it out of shale, however, was a problem that seemed impossible. It wasn't until about 10 years ago that somebody had figured out how to do it. And Graffia told EcoWatch that he was aghast at the eventual solution, pumping high volumes of water, sand, and chemicals through long stretches of vertical and lateral pipes deep into a formation. But more disturbing was what happens on the surface, what he calls spatial intensity. Drilling into shale requires a large number of big wells clustered together. And those wells are leaky. They emit methane, which is dozens of times more potent than CO2 as a greenhouse gas. And the problem isn't confined to drilling activities. Methane is released during compression and other processes such as surface transportation. So even though this is an anti-fracking conference, he's quick to point out that hydraulic fracturing isn't the heart of the problem. Instead, it's getting off shale, oil, and gas completely, something he calls managing the decline. 10 or 20 years ago, we would be, have been in a much better position to manage that decline. But shale came along. It's given the industry an extra boost in life for 10 years. So at the, at the very time, 10, 15, 20 years ago, that we should have been very serious on an international level about managing the decline in the use of fossil fuels, along came shale, more methane leakage, exacerbation of climate change, all the impacts on water, direct and indirect. So let's talk about the impacts to water. Clearly there are direct threats to water and groundwater from drilling and fracking, but there are indirect ways in which water is affected by fossil fuel extraction. If we continue to demand and use fossil fuels at the current rate, uh, the best available climate science says that we have roughly two decades to have very substantially reduced the use of fossil fuels. If we don't, then here are the climate impacts we can expect, and we're already seeing those. More intense storms, more intense droughts, more intense floods, uh, ocean acidification. How does that work? As the carbon dioxide content of the atmosphere increases, it's now over 400 parts per million, the oceans of the world are trying to do their best to absorb that carbon dioxide. They always have. Uh, somewhere around 30 to 40 percent of the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere gets absorbed by the oceans. But that rate of absorption has increased in the past few decades, and that leads to the formation of acid in the ocean. That leads to a lowering of the pH. Even a small lowering of the pH has a very substantial impact um, on uh, plant and animal kingdoms. So how do we manage the decline? It sounds daunting, especially if we only have 20 years to do it. We've been dumping greenhouse gases into the atmosphere since the Industrial Revolution. So managing the decline means that you can't precipitously, instantaneously, in one day, one month, one year, get that uh, substantial decrease in the use of fossil fuels. T to manage, the, manage, the word management to me means you have to take into account the political, economic, and social factors that will govern this decline. That starts with keeping fossil fuels in the ground that haven't been extracted and slowing production of existing wells. He also thinks that methods like a carbon tax would decrease supply 
by reducing demand. But the biggest and most important solution, that comes from us. The people of the world say, I don't want to drive a gasoline-powered car. I don't want to heat my home with natural gas. I don't want to use electricity generated by, from a coal-fired power plant. But these lifestyle choices rely on powerful interests making them available to us. I'm not talking about revolution. I'm talking about working within the constraints of the capitalist system. Yes, but a capitalist system that still allows and even encourages companies like Shell to drill in the Arctic. And even though Shell recently halted its exploration there, Ingrafia says they'll be back. Rex Tillerson, CEO of ExxonMobil, said earlier this year that they have to. The shale revolution is going to end, so the Arctic is the next logical step. So the USGS estimates that the um, formation that Shell was drilling in could hold as much as 7 billion barrels of oil. My reaction to that is, who the hell cares? 7 billion barrels of oil is one year's supply for the entire United States. If you want to spend hundreds of millions of dollars for each well, and what you're going to do is prolong the life of your business model for a few years and delay in the deployment of renewable energy, I don't think a, a board with a, with a heart and a soul and a sense of morality is going to stay, stand for that for very long. Uh, Rex Tillerson notwithstanding, and Exxon notwithstanding, I, they're going to have to modify their business plans. So what happens in 20 years if we don't manage the decline? I have two sons, both of whom have two children, and I recently had uh, a father-to-son talk. This time we talked about how are you going to manage your children through a climate crisis, and I didn't have any answers for him. I knew it was important, it was a responsibility of me as a father and a grandfather to raise the question, how are you going to manage your family over the next 10 or 20 years? Because what's going to happen, according to the science, is that if we continue business as usual, if we continue the demand, or even increase, unfortunately, the demand for fossil fuels, then the science is clear. We will reach somewhere between 1.5 and 2 degrees centigrade global warming, and all the tipping points that we've talked about many of which have to do with water. Uh, too much of it, too little of it, or stuff we can't drink. Reporting from Denver, Colorado, I'm Franny Halperin. And I'm Jamie Sudler. And you're listening to H2O Radio.